You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We said four quarters, all gas, no break. You guys did that today. Hell of a job. R-E-L-A-S. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can run the table. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. You can like us on Facebook, subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked On Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet, and the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. Today on the show, Aaron Freeman from Locked On Falcons here to talk about Uh, An NFC team that is angling for playoff position along with the Green Bay Packers. And the Falcons have been a talented team over the last few years. They've been injured. They are a team that has had its battles with the Packers. Certainly when the Packers were making Super Bowl runs, everyone remembers that fateful NFC divisional round game in Atlanta where Aaron Rodgers went full Marvel superhero on that Falcons team, one of the greatest games ever played at the quarterback position, particularly given the stakes and the context and everything about that run. So we're going to talk to Aaron about a a team in search of an identity and a, a team that lost Kyle Shanahan a few years ago and really hasn't recovered from it. They are still searching for who they are. And that's something that I think Packer fans should really um, be appreciative of when it comes to their own team and understanding, look, you may not like the identity all the time, but we saw it last year and it comes through in ways that can make them a tough-minded and and winning culture along with being a winning football team. So I, I just think identity, and I said this all last year, having an identity and understanding who you are is really great in in terms of winning on the margins. When you go into a game plan with confidence in what you're about to execute, it makes so much difference. Before we jump in, a reminder, Locked On Packers is brought to you by Built Bar. Remember, promo code Locked On gets you $10 off your first box of the best-tasting protein bars ever. Before we get to our conversation with Aaron... I want to talk about a report that came out on Monday about Tom Brady. And you may say, well, why? He doesn't play for the Packers. It's relevant to a lot of the way that the narrative, and I I wish I didn't have to talk so much about the narrative, but the narrative around Aaron Rodgers. On Monday, Gary Myers, longtime New York sports reporter, but someone who is hooked in around the league, who was the guy who reported the famous quote from Tom Brady that if Aaron Rodgers played in the Patriots system, that he would throw for 7,000 yards or whatever it was. And the report was that one of the reasons that Tom Brady left New England was friction with his offensive coordinator. He wanted more input on the game plan and wanted a little bit more freedom somewhere else. He got that in Tampa Bay. And what struck me about this is it is yet another example 
of the double standard that we have for NFL players, in particular quarterbacks. There is no football-related story that has ever been told, reported, or even whispered about that would rise to the intensity of Tom Brady wanting out because of friction with his offensive coordinator. Nothing. Did he love Mike McCarthy all the time? No. But is it anywhere near as full of animus as what we we have heard and, and has been reported around Tom Brady and the Patriots? I mean, first it was Bill Belichick and the, the friction with the trainer. Tom Brady employs a snake oil salesman trainer who has Tom Brady eating avocado ice cream and ended up training multiple Patriots players. And the Patriots didn't like it. They said this guy can't come around the facility anymore. And it created problems. Tom Brady did not like that. And it it added to friction between coaches and Tom Brady. This was reported a number of years ago. And of course, Patriots fans dismissed it. Also, all of the Brady capers dismissed it. If anything even remotely close had been reported about Aaron Rodgers, it would have led talk radio for weeks. And it's not just Aaron Rodgers. We don't even have to make this about Aaron Rodgers. If that had been said about Cam Newton, if that had been said about Russell Wilson, if that had been said about even Phillip Rivers, or you go back to Andrew Luck, I'm trying to think of of guys who are faces of their respective franchises, faces of the NFL. You know, the odds of it happening with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid are, are so infinitesimal that that it's you know potentially not even worth considering but Tom Brady gets a pass Tom Brady gets to blow up at his coaches on the sidelines and he gets a pass Aaron Rodgers offers a sideways glance to a coach and it is the front page of pro football talk it leads the Colin Cowherd show why is there this double standard nothing that Aaron Rodgers has ever done football related whether reported or insinuated rises to this level. And if the argument is that this is because Tom Brady wins football games, then you're tacitly admitting that we give him a pass, that the winning excuses the otherwise unacceptable behavior. By simply saying, yeah, but he won, you are either excusing that behavior because of the winning while acknowledging that you're excusing it. You have to acknowledge the excuse. Or, as is often the argument, oh, well, this is Tom Brady's way of motivating his guys. If he blows up at a coach, it's because he's a competitor. If Aaron Rodgers says, hey, you know, I didn't love this call on third and 10, or he, he mouths something on the field that he doesn't like a call and doesn't blow up at anyone, but just a little bit of a sideways glance, a little bit of a out of the side of his mouth comment, and all of a sudden he's a diva. So either you're helping your team win or you're not. Why is it when Tom Brady does it, he's helping his team win, and when Aaron Rodgers does it, he's a diva? What is the difference? Because if winning is the thing, then you have to say if Tom Brady is doing it so his teammates win, then Aaron Rodgers is doing the same. And it is not just big, bad media. It is not just the football, sports, Twitter, industrial complex. Packer fans do it too. There is this idea that, oh, Aaron needs to trust his receivers more and just play within the offense, et cetera, et cetera. Except 
over the course of this offseason, Tom Brady admitted, admitted that he is demanding of his receivers, that it takes a lot for him to trust them, and that if someone is not doing what he's supposed to do, he will say, get that guy off the field. Imagine if that quote came from Aaron Rodgers. Imagine if he had said that. Now, look, all of this is pretty banal stuff. I don't care. If he wants to have a trainer and the Patriots are pissed about it, I don't care. I really don't. If he wants to to be competitive with his coaches and, and get in their faces, I don't care. I really don't. And if he wants to leave because he has friction with his offensive coordinator because it's not the situation that he wants it to be, I don't care. That's fine. But then it has to be fine for other players too. Because first of all, the trainer stuff has nothing to do with winning. The offensive coordinator stuff, I I guess you could say, has something to do with winning because he feels like he wants to take a bigger role in the offense. But then when Aaron Rodgers is given that freedom and exercises it, when Mike McCarthy says you can do whatever you want at the line of scrimmage and Aaron Rodgers actually does that, then he's undermining the coach. Just think about how incoherent these arguments are, how absolutely ridiculous they sound when you put them side by side. And any of the assumed or perceived transgressions of Aaron Rodgers on the football field now pale in comparison to some of these things that we've heard about reported Not just whispered, not just rumored, not just innuendo that's out there. We're talking about legitimate, really good, really plugged in reporters. Seth Wickersham, Gary Myers. These are veteran, you know, Hall of Fame type reporters with sources and intel and info. And everything that that Seth Wickersham wrote in that Patriots piece played itself out in front of us over the subsequent seasons. I mean, the Jimmy Garoppolo stuff, Brady eventually leaving you know, the Patriots, at least Bill Belichick, thinking that it was time to move on, that Jimmy G was the future, in part because Brady was being, I hate to say it, a little bit of a diva. And yet here we are, Aaron Rodgers, who by most accounts from teammates outside of a couple outliers, does not handle his business that way. Whose worst transgressions in the locker room include needling his head coach, overtaking Alex Smith over him, and changing plays at the line of scrimmage. Just compare those two side by side. Compare them side by side and tell me why one gets the criticism and one doesn't. And someone said on Twitter, you know, when he only has one Super Bowl over the course of his career, then it's worth wondering if his attitude plays a role. Why is that reasonable to wonder? What about anything we've seen on the field suggests Aaron Rodgers' attitude is a contributing factor to the failings to win a Super Bowl over the last decade? Did Aaron Rodgers' attitude convince Ted Thompson not to re-sign Cullen Jenkins? Did Aaron Rodgers' attitude make Mike McCarthy play ultra-conservative in the NFC Championship game in Seattle? Did Aaron Rodgers' attitude make Mike McCarthy keep Dom Capers several years too long? Did Aaron Rodgers' attitude prevent Ted Thompson from signing free agents to supplement his draft and develop strategy or prevent Ted Thompson from hitting on any reasonable players in the 2015 draft? Did Aaron Rodgers' attitude make the Packers miss on frontline players in the draft? Pass up opportunities to trade for players. Was that Aaron Rodgers' attitude? Because the last time I looked, 
all of the playoff numbers over the last decade favor Rodgers over Brady. So if he plays better in the playoffs, in the winning time, how can we argue that his attitude has deleterious effects on the team? And again, I'm not even arguing that he doesn't have an attitude. Who cares? There's no evidence it affects the team negatively. Tom Brady's affected his team so negatively he doesn't play there anymore and prevented them from moving forward with a succession plan that was apparently preferred by the head coach. So it's just interesting how all of this works together, isn't it? How one player gets a pass and the other doesn't, even though the reasons for those passes actually have nothing to do with one another. It's okay to admit that a superstar player is flawed. One of the reasons that The Last Dance is so fascinating is because it's easy to see Michael Jordan for all of his greatness and some of his flaws. And his teammates have said, look, we needed to be pushed. It made us better. He wanted to win. But he was a jerk. He was an asshole. That's what th- those are their words. But I reject the idea that you have to act like that to win championships. Bill Russell didn't do that. Magic Johnson didn't do that. Kareem didn't do that. LeBron didn't do that. Steph Curry didn't do that. Plenty of people have won championships and not acted like that. Joe Montana didn't act like that. No, it's about aesthetics. It's about, oh, we like these players, and so they get to act however they want. And if they act a certain way, oh, it's it's a winning mentality. You know, Russell Wilson promotes magic water, and we, oh, it's so quirky. Oh, Russell, just what a what a kooky guy, that Russell Wilson. And his coach, the the... 9-11 truther. What a kook. What a nutball. That Pete Carroll. Okay. I mean, I guess. I guess that's what we're going to do. I'm not accusing anyone of being a victim here. I just think it's worth pointing out that we can have these nuanced approaches to our superstars. We can say Aaron Rodgers is a great quarterback and that a lot of people in the media, let's say, or some of his former teammates don't like the way he always handles his business in the locker room. That doesn't don't always appreciate his attitude, the aloof, the, the the sarcasm, the condescension. I don't know why I said sarcasm like that. Not everyone appreciates that. And I'm sure plenty of people on the Patriots, like Julian Edelman, don't appreciate that Tom Brady couldn't get over the beef with his coaches to the point that he's now playing in Tampa Bay with Rob Gronkowski and not Julian Edelman. We can have a nuanced view of the superstars that we love, and too often we decide to only take a black and white approach. Aaron Rodgers is a dick. Tom Brady is a hero, and that is the last word on that. And speaking of the last word, there are no more words that I need to say than that Built Bar is the best-tasting protein bar ever. It might as well be candy, but with none of the gross feelings in your mouth when you're chewing it, None of the grainy, just blech feeling that you get so often from these protein bars. It seems like work to eat them. Built Bar is not like that. We're talking about 20 grams of protein, 170 calories, 3 grams of sugar, 3 net grams net carbs in the peanut butter brownie. Come on, peanut butter brownie. And that much sugar? I mean, that's, that is an easy win if you're trying to stay healthy, especially in quarantine. Right now, go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get $10 off your first order. That's promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. And if you're looking to make an impact on the world around you, there's no better place than to do it with the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventures across the globe, the Army 
is where all of that can happen and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world and to win. Ask yourself, what's your warrior? And text ALPL to 462-769 to find out. That's ALPL to 462-769. Locked on Packers, Locked on Falcons, an off-season crossover edition. I'm Peter Bukowski, Locked on Packers. This is Aaron Freeman, Locked on Falcons. Aaron, it's good to be with you. Appreciate you having me on, Peter, and doing this uh, continued crossover week. So the Falcons are one of those teams that I have found it very hard to figure going into 2020, but that's true. I, I found them very hard to figure going into 2019 as well. So why should 2020 be any different? Um, there, I think, and maybe maybe I'm, I'm wrong about this, but it seems to me they're flying a little bit under the radar as we enter 2020 with the Saints looking like legitimate NFC contenders, the Bucks with everything that's gone on in Tampa Bay, Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, all that stuff. It doesn't seem like that many dramatic things have really happened in Atlanta. They're not going to be a dramatically different team this year than they were last year, no? Not really. And, uh, Peter, I talk about the Falcons every day, and I'm having difficulty figuring them out as well. So you're not alone <laughs> on that. But I, I think really the situation with the Falcons this offseason was that they, they lost a number of players and they replaced several of those players. And really the question is going to be whether or not the players – that they replace some of those key losses with wind up being significantly better because it feels like the Falcons are a team that has what it takes to compete um, as they showed in the second half of 2019 when they went six and two and included, you know, some pretty strong wins against teams like the Saints and 49ers last season. But then you also couple that with the first half of 2019 where they started the season one and seven and really struggled against some relatively weaker opponents there. So I think right now they are kind of flying under the radar and it's really mostly about getting the players that are currently on the team and, and have been on the team for a couple of seasons, getting some of those players healthy. For example, someone like a Keanu Neal, who's missed the bulk of the last two seasons with injuries and getting more out of the star players and, and other younger players that they've been trying to develop the last couple of years more so than making the big bold splash that's going to uh, catch people's attention during the offseason and get people excited about the upcoming year. Although that's not to say they weren't trying because there were a lot of reports leading up to the draft that they were trying to move up. They were trying to make all of these big splashes, even getting into you know the top 10 to try and make some picks here. So when we look at the draft... Are there guys in this class that you think can make a significant in impact in what the Falcons are going to be 2020? Because I think often we we overemphasize the impact of of what a guy can be in in uh, his rookie season. But it seems like the Falcons, you know, they they addressed holes with guys that could probably play pretty early, at least in the case of their first two picks. Yeah, and it's this is an interesting offseason because of all the things that are going on in the world. And you right. <laughs> look at it and, you know, there's the expectations that we're not going to have mini camps and OTAs and all those various things until much later in the summer, hopefully much later in the summer. Um, but you wonder if that will wind up having a negative impact on these rookies, because as you say, you know, rookies are pretty notorious and not necessarily always being the most reliable players to come in and play at a, a relatively high level early in their careers. 
And without an offseason, will it hamstring some of the guys that could possibly do that uh, from doing that? And so you look at their draft picks, and you're right. It's it's really A.J. Terrell. It's Marlon Davidson. They're number one and number two picks. Uh, Terrell, the corner from Clemson, had a rough national championship game. But outside of basically two quarters of that game, played really well for Clemson these last couple of seasons. And he's going to be expected to step in of Desmond Trufant shoes as the team's number one corner. And that's going to be a tall And in order. fairness, had a really good national championship game two years ago. Yes, absolutely. And you look at that order of, of being asked to step into Desmond Trufant shoes, who dealt with injuries a lot last season and wound up missing last most half of 2019. But outside of a couple of games when he was healthy, played really, really outstanding. And, you know, one of the things I've mentioned on, on previous episodes of Locked on Falcons is that when you look at the numbers of how the Falcons pass defense looked when Desmond Trufant was on the field versus off the field last season, it's like a night and day difference. And it's the difference between being a pretty competent pass defense and being, you know, one of the league's worst pass defense. And so to ask a player like A.J. Terrell to sort of step into those shoes and immediately sort of be that um Difference maker is is going to be a tall order, so a lot of it depends on the corners that the Falcons already have, like Kendall Sheffield and Isaiah Oliver, two draft picks they've had over the last two seasons. And then you talk about the front four that could do a lot more to take pressure off of that young cornerback group and take pressure off of that secondary from having to carry as much of the burden defensively. And that's where someone like a Marlon Davidson, their number uh, two pick from Auburn, comes in. And he's going to be asked to kind of fill the shoes of someone like uh, Adrian Claiborne, who was an instrumental part of why the Falcons defense looked better in the second half of last season because of his ability to team up with guys like Grady Jarrett and Tack McKinley uh, to boost the pass rush. But then you have the team bringing in someone like Dante Fowler, who's going to be a potential upgrade over Vic Beasley, who's been a, a pretty frustrating player for the Falcons the last couple of seasons with the expectations that he would turn into one of the premier pass rushers and and just never lived up to that. And so the hope is that guys like Davidson and Fowler, those additions can really make a difference for their front four and give the Falcons a legitimate uh, pass rush that can sort of hide some of the flaws that they may have in the secondary. Yeah, when I look at this Falcons team, it seems a little bit that it's, you know, the same as it ever was. It, that, you know, it's, as Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and this offense go, so too goes the Falcons. But the more I thought about it, it's sort of like, well, we know what those guys are. We know what the offense is capable of. The difference between them being a solid team, a dangerous team week in and week out, and a team that can actually be a playoff team really is how well some of these defensive pieces coalesce. And I wonder if, you know, someone like Dan Quinn is feeling the heat to put some of these pieces together because he's supposed to be a defensive coach. Yeah, and, and that was the thing going into last season where Dan Quinn was essentially both the head coach and a defensive coordinator, and the defense really struggled under his watch in that first half of the season and, you know, was one of the worst defenses in the NFL and was a big reason why the Falcons came out of the gates so poorly with that one and seven start in 2019. And then he made the switch to move former Tampa Bay Buccaneers head coach Raheem Morris, who had been work coaching the wide receivers for the last couple of seasons, uh, back to the defensive side of the ball. 
and he took over play calling and you saw a, a sharp uptick in the Falcons defensive performance in the second half of the season. Some of that is owed to facing, you know, the great Kyle Allen twice um, and get, <laughs> getting a little bit of a boost from facing some some lackluster offenses in the second half. But as I said earlier, they did legitimately perform against high level offenses like the 49ers and, and like the, the Saints in the second half. And so the mm-hmm. expectations from a lot of people is that they can, if they can pick up where they left off at the end of last season defensively, um, and then you you couple that with uh, a coach that I know Packer fans are familiar with, with uh, Joe Witt Jr., who's now the cornerbacks coach and did a lot of good things with some young cornerbacks in, in Green Bay over the last decade plus. Sure. Um, the, the expectations are like they have the pieces. They just have to um, you know put it all together and, and create something that's – more than what they've shown the last two seasons where they finished seven to nine. Offensively, is this going to look in terms of philosophy and style more like, you know, the the Kyle Shanahan teams or have they have they moved away from that philosophy fully to where now they're, you know, they're taking on a different kind of identity? Because once you don't have Shanahan, it's really tough to continue to be Shanahan, obviously. But that usually means that coaches are having to incorporate more and more other kinds of scheme into what they want to do. Yeah, that's the that's the difficult thing that I've struggled to sort of wrap my head around because the Falcons say they want to be still that Shanahan type of offense, but then when push comes to shove and you know, you know, actions speak louder than words, when it came to what they presented on the field last year under first year offensive coordinator Dirk Cutter it was very unlike Shanahan. And one of the things that they've said this offseason is they want to go back to more of that outside zone scheme that I know Packer fans are familiar with having watched now uh, LaFleur in Green Bay. And they made the moves that you would think fit into that type of desire, which is getting a guy like Ty Gurley, who had a lot of success in that type of scheme under Sean McVay in uh, Los Angeles. They drafted Matt Hennessy, the center out of uh, Temple in the round three. And basically all that everybody says about Hennessy is that he is tailor-made for that type of scheme. Mm-hmm. So th- they have the pieces in place, but you wonder if that's really what Dirk Cutter does well. Historically speaking, that hasn't been the type of offense that he has had the most success running. And so you do wonder if it's kind of a square peg in a, in a round hole sort of situation. And that marriage of what they seemingly want to do and what the personnel says that they should be doing because they still have a lot of that same personnel on the offensive side of the ball that they had back when they went to the Super Bowl in 2016. Um, And you you wonder if they can marry that sort of uh, relationship between the personnel and the coaching. And, And that's really, I think, one of the bigger questions heading into this upcoming season. People forget Dirk Cutter, not Kyle Shanahan. So it just we have to keep that in mind here and let the record reflect you brought up the Super Bowl. I did not bring up the Super Bowl. Okay, so just no no Falcons fans get mad at me for for bringing it up or not bringing it. Up. I didn't do it. Aaron did it. Everybody, I know everybody was thinking about it, so I had to, <laughs> to break the ice. I guess. Aaron, this was great. I really appreciate it, man. All right, I want to thank Aaron for joining the show. Great to talk to him and. Uh, if you want to hear the full conversation, we we talked for you know about fifteen more minutes, but I didn't want to overburden us. Most of it was him asking questions of me. If you want to hear that, check out Locked On Falcons on their feed today. 
And then tomorrow, we get to do it all over again. That's the fun part. We got the Buccaneers tomorrow. We get to talk about Tom Brady. Imagine that. We get to talk about the Buccaneers. And that is one of the things on the schedule that the Packers are going to have to reckon with. They come off a bye. They get to go to Tampa. That's still going to be a difficult game. But who knows who's going to be healthy? Who knows who's going to be playing? And, you know, the, the, the more I talk to, you know, friends and, and people I know in the sports media, there are a lot of people who are, are not bullish on this situation in Tampa Bay, not the least of which because Brady was bad last year. He looks old. And, and this is, you know, I, I don't think an ideal situation for him. It's certainly not from an offensive line standpoint. It's not an ideal fit from a weapon standpoint. Who knows if Gronk is going to stay healthy? And I don't mean that because they don't have talent. They certainly have talent. But is Brady going to stand in the pocket and fire downfield? Is Mike Evans going to run more underneath? Chris Godwin, does that really fit their skill set? Does the geometry of this offense work? And is the, the progress their defense made last year real or was it a mirage? We're going to talk about all of that coming up tomorrow. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline, you can do that 920-341-3775 to stay Locked on Packers. 